Hello, and a warm welcome to the Trap One Podcast. This is Jason. And I'm Ross. Mark is offline today, so I once again have guest hosting duties. And welcome to a very special episode of the Trap One Podcast. A very special crash episode, I should say. After a unique (laughs) social media campaign where the BBC deleted all of their Doctor Who social media accounts... Doctor Who returned this past week, rebranded as Doctor Who Flux. And I'm saying that very carefully. F-L-U-X. Flux. (laughs) It helps to say it in two syllables. Uh, With the new 60-second trailer for Series 13, which drops on Halloween 2021, and is going to run every Sunday night for six weeks, which will lead into the 2022 series of specials, The 13th Doctor's Regeneration, and the return of Russell T. Davies, which Trap One broke down for you so skillfully two weeks ago. Uh, Ross, this is the first time that I've recorded with you, but I've been a big longtime fan of Gallifrey's Most Wanted and the Runcible Report. And oh, I know you. that you you and Jeff just dropped an episode on season 22, which I downloaded yesterday but have not had a chance to play yet. But I'm very excited to hear this because I'm in the middle of my Doctor Who pilgrimage on Twitter, and I just finished season 22 the other night, and I'm very curious to hear your guys' take. Because when you guys break down a season, I agree almost with everything you guys say when you did season one, season seven. Season 22 for me is less pleasurable than those, so I'm curious to see if we're on the same page or if you're going to tell me something that I hadn't thought about. Well, I think I think you'll be uh, surprised at some of it. I'm just finished. I'm you know I have an ongoing great rewatch that I've always know where I've stopped, even if I stop for a year or two. And I just finished up through twenty two. I, I paused because I said I would with with um, Colin Baker. I would insert all the big finish stories because I love his big finish. His big finish is some of my favorite. And since he only had the three seasons and they were spotty at best production-wise and they have their flaws, that I, the more I watch Colin Baker's era, the more I, I'm forgiving of the, what I figure the flaws. But, you know, you, you know it, it was an, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed the conversation with Jeff because it's one thing, it, you know, it, that's his era of who, too. So, because mm. I'm, you know. Like you, I had to watch it on PBS, and I'd never seen those. I never saw those as episodic until the VHS. They were always movie. We got DC. We got movie format. So, and season twenty-two actually works better in movie format because when we got the twenty-five-minute episodes on our Long Island station, channel oh my 21, god! Oh, they're, I've seen those. They're terrible. Where the cliffhanger just happens when you reach the twenty-five minute mark. So we, ta- yeah. uh, we talked about the, uh, that, Jeff. So Jeff said he's you know they got him as the forty-five. They work better as the forty-five. Can you show us to this hacienda? Of course, <laughs> it is this way. <laughs> oh my god! Well, I remember watching Second Doctor movie edits, and you would have the same thing if it was shot differently. You would have wait a minute. I've seen that last three minutes, and they're doing it because they would reshoot bits. It was it was rough. But we're going to talk about this trailer. So are we going to watch it together? Uh, or? I've got a few questions for you first, and then we'll watch it together okay. and pause every few seconds and talk about what we see. So uh, two 
obvious questions based on the way that the BBC has chosen to handle this long-awaited, long-delayed pandemic season of Doctor Who. How about that marketing ploy of deleting all of their accounts for 24 hours? I liked it. It did what it's supposed to do. People jabbered and jabbered and jabbered and jabbered, and Doctor Who was trending. So I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I know people, because I even posted a question on our Twitter page. And I got some reactions. Some other people jumped in, and I'm just I'm just asking. I don't to me, and I even marked it. Did anyone miss this? So I don't go on Doctor Who social media sites. I get it all from interaction with people on Twitter. So I don't miss it. If I need to go get some reference material, I go into a room and I pull one of the 300 books I've got on the shelves, or you know what, I go to something online. But I really don't use their sites. But you know, I I didn't mind it. It did what. Advertising supposed to do get you talking, and it did exactly what it said. You know, it did it, and it just. I think everybody is going to be frustrated with this era. There is just a level of frustration with this era. On like it or don't like it, you know, it is not as market. It, I will agree that it is not marketed as well as it was in the past. They the BBC just doesn't push this program the way it did, but. It didn't bug me. I liked it. It got him talking. I mean, that's what you want. It's cheaper than it's cheaper than an ad. <laughs> You've got to break it down into three different elements. You've got to break it down into Jodie Whittaker, who mm-hmm. is phenomenal with everything she's asked to do, mm-hmm. and then Chris Chibnall, who writes her words and who plots her story arcs. And the fandom can certainly debate whether or not Chris Chibnall has been um, the most successful showrunner. And then there's the marketing, but to my mind, the marketing is the least important part of it. I mean, I've been a fan since 1984. I'm going to be watching the show, whether they do a trailer or not. So the trailer is basically to try and lure back people who went away or to lure back or to lure in new viewers. Oh, yeah. For for longtime fans like you and me, I don't think the trailer is particularly relevant because I'm going to be watching the new series no matter what. Whether I enjoy it or not, I'm going to watch the whole thing and – uh, two years from now, I'm not going to remember what the trailer was like, but... Well, me and Vic were talking Boomtown today, and um, we were talking about it, and it said, I don't remember trailers. You know, I, I overall let the cat out of the back. I enjoyed this trailer. It was, it, it hit those buttons that I was excited for this season anyway, because enjoy, I'm enjoying this season, and I like Jody's Doctor. I was and I was looking forward to the new format experiment. That's got me excited. Just you know, and it just boom, it piqued my interest. But it's not meant for me. You know, it's totally. I could have lived without it. Me and Jeff have been saying that for weeks because we're picking on people for freaking out that there's no marketing. Was like we don't care. When's the trailer dropping? About two weeks before the show opens, like always. And, you know, we were a little off. It did what we thought it was going to do. But we were both like, eh, I, I don't need one. I'm going to tune in. We're fans of this era. We're fans of the show. We're going to tune in. So, it, but, you know, it, it's not like you're saying. It's not meant for us. I mean, I think the marketing thing worked because I don't, I don't know how. I don't understand as an old codger of almost 60. I don't understand all the, so, the internet. I go for interaction. And... I don't know how much trending bleeds into more people. Does that mean what I'm saying makes sense? 
that being said, it is a gorgeous trailer. It's high def. It looks phenomenal. It brings back enough returning faces to give us the fan service that we so richly deserve. Yes. But it also adds a lot of new faces and a lot of new special effects that we don't know, which means this season is going to have as much new stuff as it's going to rely on the past, which uh, hopefully will avoid some of the more obvious pitfalls of the timeless children, which required an encyclopedic memory of 45 seconds from 1976. This season will, it looks from the trailer, will look ahead as much as it looks back, which I think is as much as any of us could ask for. So the trailer definitely whetted my appetite, but let's talk about the name Flux. Is this a good title or a terrible title? I'm not a fan of the title. But I don't know what it means. It may make sense when we see it. Does You know what I mean? Because this thing's done. It's done. You know, the story's all tied up. They're all done. Jody's done as the doctor. So they've done three episodes past this and right. finished. So it's done. It makes sense. I do think it, it, it lends itself to terrible memes, funny or not funny. Um, but I like the idea of the story. I like the idea if you've, of a six-part, because that's how modern TV is structured anyway, in a lot of way, that everything's interconnected on these short seasons. But I, the name, it could have just left it Doctor Who. It is a self-own because it just creates so many rude puns. So if by... Episode three, it's not working out. The headlines write themselves. Doctor Who, get the flux out of here. What the flux is happening? Oh, it's, yeah. And then, of but course. But I think that's got, that's got to start. I mean, but I, I know what you mean. It, 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 it has lent itself already to some print. I'm, you know, I, I, I have no problem with people taking the mickey out of Doctor Who because it, you know, I've been a fan for, God. 40 years? I don't know. I don't even want to count back that far. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's an odd choice. Um, and to give it a title, is it going to be parts one through six? Is it going to have individual titles? I'm... That remains to be seen. I know Chibnall has written five of the six episodes solo, and, and then that... he rewrote Maxine Alderton's one episode. So he's going to have five and a half script writing credits out of the six. Yeah, but this is, I mean, the, Jeff commented about how pretty it looked for something that this was done during a lockdown. You know, so you had to contain your actors. You, you know, you couldn't travel to this. I pointed out they couldn't travel to South Africa this year to do some exteriors, which they have done right. for the first two seasons. They couldn't go to, uh, I forget, it's where they did Planet of Fire. Look, look. Lanzarote. Lanzarote, because they've gone there for moonscapes and stuff, alien planets and stuff. They can't, couldn't do any of the travel. So I'm, I'm impressed that what we saw was as well put together. For something done during a lockdown. And you, I mean, and that said is our version of a lockdown in America depended on where you lived, but it wasn't really a lockdown. I mean, you're in New York City, right? Uh, yeah, I am in Brooklyn. So I was home 23 hours a day for the first six months. Some of my, in the, yeah, my brother-in-law and his partner lived, oh, two of my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law and their partners live in Brooklyn. And so does a dear friend. So you guys had a lockdown. New York, pretty right. We had Rick, a very 
aggressive governor, and as it turns out, he was a little too aggressive in, in <laughs> other areas. But he did the job. We are now, you know, a very low positivity rate. We've pretty much reopened in full with precautions. Still have to wear masks, but the restaurants are back open, the movie theaters are back open. Whereas if you're below the Mason-Dixon line or in the redder portions of the electoral map, then the nation is still on fire yeah. and there's no lockdowns, yeah. no masks. Well, in Virginia, we're pretty we good. One. We have a Democratic governor and he's a doctor. Yes. So and we... Good luck with your upcoming gubernatorial election, by the way. I'm watching that very nervously. I am too. I am too. I live in a place that it is very blue. My part of the state, I live in a city, and we tend to win. If we turn out, if the cities and the suburbs turn out and vote the way they normally do, it's not a problem. But that's that's a different story. But, yeah, I, I, I don't mind. It's a title. I mean, I like... I'm excited about this. I like the idea of changing a, changing up the structure every once in a while. So I'm kind of like, well, okay, six issues, one story. Are we, is it, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm not a fan of the American traditional model of 25 episodes a year because you always get, you know, it's too much. I'm right, because then you're, you're generating content just to generate content. Exactly. You get a fair share of bad or filler episodes, whereas... Here you have a chance to have six of the greatest episodes of all time because you had 18 months of pandemic to write them and, and produce them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, and I'm, I've enjoyed Chibnall's era. I've not, I've enjoyed almost every bit of it. I don't, I'm, I am very conscious of always judging every Who era by itself. I don't – I mean I don't really compare them to each other anymore. Does that make sense? Because there's no yes. point. There's no point. Every time you change showrunner and every time you change actors, it's a gift. You get a new show. I mean there's, there are eras I like more than others. There's you know doctors I prefer more than others. And there are bad – there are stories that I make uh, – that I think less of every, every year or every, every doctor. But, you know, it's all it, – no, I've enjoyed this year a great deal. Which is why I get frustrated with the folks on Twitter who call for the show to be rested. I mean, what does that mean? I mean, resting is cancellation. I'd rather have the show on than not on. And if it's rested, i.e. canceled, there's no guarantee that it's ever coming back. Yeah, I don't. Or at least I, in the format that we want. Yeah. I, Vic brought that up because she had seen some articles. And, and I was like, I don't know if it's a good idea to rest it. It's just, you know, change will come. They can correct. I think we're seeing part of that now with uh, how BBC is going to have it made by hiring someone else to make it, not sell it to Sony, which everybody freaked out yesterday about. No, 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 no. This is a production deal. It's like in America, a ABC, one of our networks, makes a large amount of content for other people and do not own it. It's mm -hmm. just outsourcing the labor. Um, so, I mean... That's was the, that's the change they needed to do because the BBC is going through massive changes and can they afford to continue to make this show? But because they're making money off it, it's not hurting the the things that it's going down because a segment of the audience isn't as happy with it as another part of the segment doesn't mean it's bad and it's failing. It just means. There's a you know, it's the BBC's judging how good it is by how much money's going in its coffers. 
This show is making money for the BBC. It's putting money in its conference. They sell this worldwide. It makes a profit. Because they get a kick from Big Finish. They get a, you know, they're, they're making money. This is not failing. This is as healthy a show as, God, we get a show called NCIS in this country, which I watch from time to time because it's mindless and it's not bad when I'm eating dinner. And I like cop show, American cop shows. But it's not high art. But it's going into its 19th season. You don't have to be number one to stay on the air. You have to be paying your bills and making a little extra. And, me, you know, it's just like any other business, making your margins. I mean, and that's, that's not the artist, the person who likes watching this because I find it entertaining and artistic on some level. But that's why it's being made. That's the bottom line. That's why the BBC makes it. Not because the fans love it. Because it pays their bills. <laughs> I would give the same example here in New York with Law and Order, which has been in production since 1990. A significant portion of the New York TV landscape is Law and Order and the various spinoffs. So they're, they're like even bringing back one they canceled. <laughs> yeah, the, origi- the original, which is my show, is... Um, is coming back as, as a limited series. They have other Law & Order series in production. You're not an actor in New York unless you've been on a Law & Order. Again, Law & Order is not art. I mean, you have Law & Order podcasts, but nobody is breaking down the directorial style of this director versus that director. Do they have different I mean, directors? I mean... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's had the same visual look since 1990, and all that's changed is the background cars and the suits on the detect- detectives. And then, of course, Law and Order, of course, has different leads. So the cast turns over, kind of like Doctor Who. But nobody is doing a – what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's a different audience than Doctor Who is. Law and Order yeah. is meat and potatoes. Half people are there for the cops. Half of them, like me, are there for the lawyers and the judges. But Doctor Who is a different kernel of fandom. And even though the ratings are down numerically – Timeless Children was still a top 30 program for its week, which is probably 70 places higher in the ratings than most of the 1980s when the ratings were also oh, yeah. low. But, and but how- the ratings then were low when everything else was high. Now the ratings are low when everything else is low. So relatively, the show is still overperforming most of the J&T era, even yeah. though it's been derided for this and derided for that. It's, it's still bringing in the viewers that are out there. Yeah, and what I get is we look at, I mean, yes, the BBC is primarily making this program for its own audience, its country, its geographical footprint. But, and its ratings aren't as good as, you know, some fans would think it is because it's their favorite show. But even here, the, you know, the dancing for the stars and the, and the reality stuff, which just makes my flesh crawl, overperforms our dramas. Um, and also, what are ratings nowadays? Because of streaming, because of the over the last twenty five years that they aim shows at demographic groups. You don't have to. Doctor Who should be an all ages audience. I agree, and that's what it should be geared toward. But there are democrat demographics that they're gearing it toward and now i think with this production deal they may you know what i mean because with with streaming with netflix with hulu with disney plus all this there is so much content to be had ratings are diluted you don't need 9 million people on the broadcast night 
You need 39 million over 10 months, 12 months, whatever they're judging it by. And guess what? They're not telling us what they judge it by. They're not publishing their data. You know, because if they find something that works, probably in this statistic metrics driven society we live in now, they're not going to share their data. Because they find if they find something that works, they're not going to share. I just don't think they share it. Because I think the numbers we get, like in Doctor Magazine or whatever, I mean, what are the actual? I mean, why not add um, American, Canadian, and Australian viewing figures? Because it's airing on the same on the same day within a twenty four hour period now in all those countries. You know? And interna- internationally, the audience is going to be there. I mean, American conventions are still packing them in. I'll be at Li Who next month. I'll be at uh, Gallifrey in February, which then routinely I will draws. See you, I will see you there. Yes, hopefully, routinely draws at least three thousand guests. Um, not to mention all the people from the show who appear. So, fandom will watch this. The question is, will new viewers come in? And bring the ratings up. And even then, it doesn't matter because the show is coming back. It's got RTD. Yeah. And if you don't like this era, don't worry. Another one is coming. <laughs> so before we get to the second by second of the trailer, one last question. This is Doctor Who telling a single season-long story. And you could argue that the Daleks' master plan, which was 13 episodes in 65 and 66, was similar we have different types of story being told over 13 weeks, but it all adds up to one coherent whole. But I think a better example is The Trial of a Time Lord, which is where I'm at right now in my pilgrimage. I did parts one and two of The Mysterious Planet last night. But this is a single season-long story a la Trial of a Time Lord. The irony then is that Chris Chibnall became famous. He made his bones in fandom, so to speak, <laughs> insulting Trial of a Time Lord to the faces of the principal production team on television. And is there an irony to Chibnall now doing his own? We don't know what it's about yet. Is there an irony to him doing his own trial of a Time Lord, a season-long story? And will the future showrunner in 30 years' time make his bones on Twitter now trashing Chibnall? (laughs) I would not be surprised if history repeats itself. You know, I think this is different because... Real, I mean, Trial of the Time Lord is still three and a half stories. You know, it is. It's there's an arc. Yes, I don't think it worked. I find it entertaining going back, and it took me a while when it first happened. I I beat up on it as a fan, and I you know, and I enjoyed it more. And, and there are stories in it. I the inner stories of the you know take all the trial stuff out. I like these stories. I like those stories. I like Mysterious Planet. I really love Terror of the Vervoids. It's just a Doctor Who story, you know, and but they work. But the arc, I don't think it was, I, in, in hindsight, you know, I look at it and I don't think it was a good idea. I think this is different. I think this is more like shows we watch now streaming. The Mandalorian. I watch Sweet Tooth on Netflix. Um it's very much like that because that's kind of an all-ages adventure show because the, the, the lead is a ch- as a kid. That was very Doctor Who to me. It's based on a comic book. But that's the way we tell stories on television. You know, Disney's doing it. Marvel's doing it. 
you know, um, Star Trek's doing it. I mean, I think um, I'm I like their cartoon short trip, um, Lower Decks. And, you know, it's there. We're telling things and we're telling story. That's the way they're telling stories nowadays. I just think it's. It's odd that he's going to be the first Doctor Who producer that's got to do it, you know. And I'm not would not be surprised that this is the model Davies is going to use, because his last two big hits were that. Years and years, and it's a sin. Are what six episode, eight episode stories, right? You know that is the and he he brought Who into the 21st century. I would not be surprised that he brings it into the 20 knots. With the serialized format, he is tends to be smarter than the average bear when it comes to producing television because he never he he adapt he adapts and he changes because when people go oh he's just going to go back it's like that you have not been paying attention to that man he does not go backwards he is not interested in going backwards he's going to reinvent the show again I think the advantage that Chibnall is going to have is that Trial of a Time Lord was not mapped out they didn't decide how the final episode was going yeah. to end until they were already in the middle of filming uh, the first you know two serials things had to be and rewritten at the last minute and they're they're the writer for the last episode died of i think hepatitis in the middle of writing and then there was a lawsuit over the replacement writer who was brought in to finish so it ended up having no direction because they didn't know how it was going to end when they started shooting it. At least here, everything was written first and then it was shot, we assume. So the ending should be a little more coherent. And while I like all four bits of Trial of a Time Lord individually as four different stories, it does not work as a whole because they didn't know what they were doing. And I think we're going to avoid that pitfall this time. So one last thing I want to talk about as an intro was before this trailer dropped what did you think it was going to be about the the the, the whole uh, mini season i had no idea because i don't i don't think this is going to resolve the cliffhanger from last season i think it's going to get us toward it um um because i would hope as much as i liked some of the specials in that tenant special season them being one and very one and done-ish was I would have preferred it be like this, that it's interconnected, that if I'm going to only get an episode every three months or whatever, every four months, that you leave me hanging. I want a cliffhanger. You know, I want and if I'm the showrunner, I want to keep the audience jonesing because if I give us Land of the Dead or Planet of the Dead, the first special, which is eh, entertaining, but it's not as good as Waters of Mars, which I really like. And I'd be honest, I'm not a big fan of David Tennant's final two. Flying Supermaster annoys the bejeebas out of me. It's, <laughs> it's, it, I really, as someone who designs stuff, I try to be, it, they, that took them a lot of hard work. But as I say, where was the person in the room raising their hand going, um, stupid? You know, what is, what are you doing? But see, so I think, I don't, I really just don't know what they're going to do. I think they're either going to amp it up and explain it, but not end the story. We may be told what the whole timeless child thing is, but it won't resolve the story. We'll just get to an idea of it because I don't think we're going to see 
Joe Martin or Sasha Dewan until next year. Right until yeah, the uh, yeah. 2022 specials that wrap this wrap, yeah. that wrap up the 13th Doctor. So, yeah, and be and be part of the regeneration. And you had talked about the timeless child. I want to I'm going to put my two cents in on that. Is yes for us as old fans, it was three minutes of continuity. But if you're a new fan that knew nothing about it, it's a mystery, which is what he was going for. Fans will nitpick anything. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I nitpick and nitpick and mm. nitpick. Mm-hmm. Especially going from one show because I love the new Star Trek because it's twenty twenty it's twenty twenty one and I'm not going to judge it against Shatner's because that's point you know what I mean but right. I do see things well you're contradicting oh you're contradicting bad continuity Shh, take a breath take a breath <laughs> <laughs> um, I listened to a great podcast called Mission Log and they and when they were doing the original show it's the reset button I I do not miss reset TV. Where something dramatic happens, but your characters are exact same spot at the before. But I think you know that he was trying to infuse mystery, and I think what he ended up doing, or one of the side effects with social media, he infused schism. Mm. But social media is looking for schism in some way. Season two of Star Trek Discovery goes a very long way around to explain why Spock is able to sing Jabberwocky from Lewis Carroll in the middle of Plato's stepchildren in yeah, 1968. Well, I'm However, good. I'm not the only one who caught that. You don't need to care about Plato's stepchildren, and I love Plato's stepchildren, to enjoy season two of Discovery. <laughs> but that's, that's a grace note that is an Easter egg. It isn't taking 45 seconds out of the brain of Morbius and expecting you to understand what that clip means when you show it on screen at the moment that you did. So there's yeah. ways well, to I use mean, continuity as a bonus, and there's ways to use continuity as a tool to confuse and belittle and uh, undermine. Yeah, I think his intent was to was hopefully that ninety percent of his audience has no idea what that was, because you know what I mean. Because modern who a lot of a big chunk of modern who viewers are not old who viewers. I think it's still. I think Twitch was a great thing. That got a lot right. of these younger fans, but it actually turned some of those younger fans in. Oh, I prefer the Hartnell era over any of the modern who. There's a, that rebirth of Hartnell love, which is not a problem in any way. And I London, love it. London, 1965. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it works both ways. It works both ways. My thing is, I'm not the guy, I, I'm very open minded. I've had, be honest, I think I. I had bigger problems with Russell Davies' season finales than I did that one. Because I don't, I'm not a big fan of the spectacle. I mean, I want the arc of the season to end, but sometimes people try to top themselves and have a big finish. And it's like you're not focusing on what you want to be doing. You're focusing on, you're not focusing on landing the, the vault or the jump, whatever. You're focusing on the jump. And it doesn't always land right. So, and I think Timeless Child doesn't land right across the board. It landed right with some of us and not with others, and other people were totally lost. It was a mixed bag. But hopefully, hopefully, lessons were learned. So, let me tell you where I thought Flux was going before we got this trailer, which pretty much disproved my entire theory. <laughs> so, when they announced the idea for this six episode season, they asked Chibnall what it's about, and he gives one word. Swarm. And the old school Phantom reaction is, oh no, they're bringing back the swarm from the invisible enemy. 
That was not what I thought. <laughs> oh my God. When I reached State of Decay in my pilgrimage, which was probably over the summer, about two or three months ago, the word swarm is very big in State of Decay, and it's used dramatically two or three times in the episode to refer to the great vampires and the ancient war with Gallifrey. I thought we were going to be getting the story of ancient Gallifrey's war against the great vampires, and we would see another timeless children incarnation of the Doctor fighting the great vampires. And I figured, okay, so the monsters this year are going to be the great vampires. Vinder, the mysterious new character, is going to be a past timeless children Doctor. Now we're going to tie in with ancient Gallifreyan continuity, but we're going to get this great story with vampires, and a six-week vampire story is going to be amazing. And that is what I convinced myself it meant, because Chimel used the word swarm, and it turns out exactly none of that was right. So maybe I'll have to write the fanfic version of Flux that I thought we were going to get. But as it turns out, Chibnall had much different ideas. Yes. Well, he's also the master of no info. So That's true. <laughs> <laughs> to the extent that he deleted all the social media accounts to give no this, info uh, until he was ready to drop day, the trailer. Just for a day. Everybody got a breather. Everybody got to go in and, and, and talk Doctor Who. You know. So let's press play on the trailer then. It's happening again. Who are you? I'm the doctor. This is Jazz. This is Dan. I don't know about this. And who else does? Maybe we should have brought that to you a little bit more gently. So we've talked about the social media element. We've talked about uh, the Chibnall era in brief. We've talked about where we thought Flux was going to go. And now that uh, we have the trailer in front of us, uh, let's break down the first 10 seconds. So you have Jody pointing the sonic screwdriver at the sky. You've got the companions. You've got a few random faces zooming in. You've got some gorgeous-looking CGI shots, and you have right around the nine-second mark somebody's face disintegrating. So the visuals on this look phenomenal, and it just looks like an HD feast of special effects and that pretty gruesome effect of the person's face melting. Yes, yeah. I, I like it you, the, for the historical thing. One of the people, we know what, who one of the characters is. Yes. Mary Seacott. They had, um, because that's a crime. When we get to the big battle scene, that's Crimea. Right. Which, of course, argues against us being set in the past of ancient Gallifrey, because now we have a specific Earth time reference. And we also see the face of, uh, of Dan, the new companion. I want to say that when they announced the new companion, I was disappointed, because you had this prospect of the Doctor and Yaz the first South Asian companion and the first female doctor traveling alone together. 
And now you add to this the experiment, gee, can a white male companion work in Doctor Who? Which, obviously, that's all we've ever had. I was hoping just to get the two of them, and I didn't want to see a new companion, especially another white guy in the mix, because I think we've played that game before. That being said, I seem to be in the minority, and people seem to really enjoy him as an actor and comedian. I'll confess, here in the States, I'd literally never heard of him before. I had no idea. I went and had to Google him. And I'm a a fan of British comics. My father turned me on to Borscht Belt comedians. I grew up with Jewish stand-up in the house for for Scottish pops um, and stuff like that. Um, um, I mean, he took me to see Blazing Saddles at an inappropriately young age. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But... I had to do him, and he's not the style of comedian I would go see. He's funny. He can tell a joke. He knows how to work a room. He has all the skills of a good comedian. I just, he's telling working class guy jokes, which I, it's not what I go looking for in a comedian. You know, I'm more a social commentary kind of guy. But he can do it. And I am, and Vic and me got in a heated debate on Galfrey's Most Wanted about hiring comics. Hire a comic. That's a guy that goes up every night by himself. It's still acting. Right. Stand-up is acting. It's harder. I'm, it's the mo- it's the, a stand-up comic, especially a good one who makes a, a living. And he's one of the highest paid comedians in his country, which means he gets up and makes a room full of people laugh six nights a week. It's hard because there's no net. It's just you. So I didn't have a problem with it. I, like you, though, wanted it just to be the two of them. You could bring back reoccurring male characters for a male balance. I understand what they're really going for is a balance. Right. <clears throat> I don't think it's necessary. I was because I really got sick of the doctor and a girl thing. I liked it when Rory came in. I think you can have a male companion. I, um, I am not a huge Rose fan. I find Billy Piper amazing in the part and the part served its plot purpose but I felt Rose I found Rose to be a bit off-putting at times because but that's Davies thing is making everybody human you know they're flawed yeah but I I didn't I was like you I wanted it just to be the two of them but now I now I'm just gonna wait and said I'm gonna wait and see what I see you know right Dan appears to have some very funny comic pratfalls that we saw in in the teaser. And my favorite, my favorite bit of this the, the teaser is him groaning and her going, "What's up?" Exactly, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. I really like that vibe. It's funny that you mentioned the Borscht Belt. That was literally what I grew up with. My grandfather was accountant to a lot of the Borscht Belt hotels. My mother oh, really? summered in the Catskills. Dirty Dancing, we went to see because that was her childhood rather than because of Patrick Swayze. And Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh, the Catskill sequence as well. That is literally my mother's adolescence from the 1960s. So the Borscht Belt is part of my DNA, although I no longer find that humor funny, but that's literally what I was raised with. And British humor is quite a different vibe to the Borscht Belt humor. Yeah. So and, and, I, his, and John Noble's is more traditional American stand-up. Right. It's very uh, Seinfeld or Bob Saget without the profanity <laughs> um, and stuff like that. It's more, it's more like what you would have seen on Johnny Carson in the 1970s and 80s. Right. It's clean. It's funny. He doesn't do blue. You know, he, and, but he, and he talks about, you know, his family and stuff like that. 
But I, I liked a little bit about this because, you know, the delivery of that line, we could have delivered that a little more. <laughs> it's a nice, that's a good comedian because you're, it's, he's aiming for funny, but it doesn't sound like he's pushing funny. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm, a, I'm just a wait and see kind of person when it comes to companions because there's some that I didn't think I'd like and I loved and there are others that other people love and I'm like, eh. But I, I go into every Doctor Who season going, there isn't a companion that I am going to see myself in. There wasn't until Graham. Because I'm a 56-year-old white guy. Right. You know, I've never had a buy-in. People go, well, and representation, representation is, is, net, is needed in all of this, in all art. But, you know, I'm a white guy, so I've always had it. But in Doctor Who, I never had it. Harry's the closest. The only time that I, as a nebbishy Jewish guy from Brooklyn, felt represented was the first 10 minutes of the return of Dr. Mysterio. That child is exactly what I looked like at eight years old. Yeah. I was like watching myself on screen. He had and all the same comic book posters. Up. I was a teenager, <laughs> but I saw John uh, Byrne Superman. And, oh, cool. I know when this is set. <laughs> that was literally me circa 1981. It was <clears throat> uncanny. <laughs> Uh, but I will say you make a really good point about how stand-up comedy is acting. My favorite current U.S. TV series, uh, Better Call Saul, is a very dramatic, very gritty series where the lead happens to be an, a long-time comedian just doing the best dramatic acting of his life. Yeah. It's – they. I mean um, Bradley, Bradley Walsh is a stand-up comic and, a, and an MC. And right. I and I watched Chibnall's Law and Order UK. He's an incredibly versatile, dramatic actor. Yes, because he's basically playing Jerry Orbach's character, and he didn't mess it up. Because I do, I'm not a big Law and Order fan. My wife watches it constantly, but if Jerry Orbach's on the screen, I'm watching. When Jerry Orbach died, that was a personal tragedy for our family. And, of course, Jerry Orbach was also in Dirty Dancing. This may be the first Doctor Who podcast episode ever to discuss Dirty Dancing twice in a five-minute stretch. <laughs> so let's uh, look at the next uh, 10 seconds, 11 through 20. We have the TARDIS uh, trapped in some sort of uh, vortex. There's more faces. There's Chewbacca. No, that's There's my, that's my dog, Mr. Costner. <laughs> Ah, Mr. Costner. And then we'll stop at the Ood. So in the next 10 seconds, we have what I thought was Chewbacca, but it's actually your dog, Mr. Costner. <laughs> we have somebody who kind of is wearing a brigadier outfit. And then I, we get the Santaran and the Ood. Yes. I think the military guy's coming from the Santaran episode. It's not it's everyone is a unit. It's like they wore that uniform for 100 years. Um, I think it, he's, one of, he's part of the Santaran and Crimea era um and we get to see a santarn on a horse which is an amazing icon it's such a good image i'm amazed we haven't seen it before i know it is and it's very two doctor santarn yeah that that could be a bad thing as i was talking about on my twitter when i got through two doctors last week they weren't perhaps very well served in that story but chris chibnall had a very good point about He's going back to the Time Warrior Sontarans, where Lynx is an amazing villain. Even though he's a clone warrior, he is funny, he is clever, he is poetic. Yeah. There's a lot of dramatic range to Lynx, which we didn't really see um, again until the two-part RTD era 
Santaran story. And then after that, after that, yes, Strax became strictly Colin Grave. I thought that Strax was very funny, but he wasn't a Santaran no, no. as a Santaran. Now we're getting the Santaran on horseback in combat. I want to see that, them scary, and I don't even yeah. in that two-parter. Um, there are just a lot of them. Um, but this one, because the CGI, you can do a big battle. I want to, you got to see them as warriors. I think they worked best in, um, time warrior and the Santarn experiment. And I agree with you and the two doctors. I don't think they're that well served. I am not a big fan of the two doctors at all. It's not one I care for. Um, I think it's, it's a lot of plot devices that were planned out and then a story was written around them. Um, and a story I, with a paper thin plot where every twist is revealed in the first nine minutes and there's no surprises the rest of the way. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, and I just think the costumes were a little undone. I don't mind the Santarans being a little tiny, but I have a problem with that in modern who they look like they're all cut from a mo- like a, like an action figure. They look like a bunch of you had a hundred of the same action figure. The costume I didn't like. It was a little too foam rubbery. And I, the best thing was um, Mike Ryan and um, Dan Starkey. So, but I'm looking, that Santarin looks like a military. I'm, he's imposing. He looks like he's going to be scary. And we also have the Ood. Now, you had from the RTD era, Chris Chibnall brought back the Jadoon. And, of course, that was a very clever misdirection. But now we have the return of the Ood, who uh, there's another forthcoming Trap 1 episode where I talk about the Sensorites and a bunch of us talk about the Sensorites versus the Ood. I am a big fan of the Ood. Um, I am too. Love them. They, Love them. They started off as, uh, you know, henchmen. Then they had their own planet. And then they served as a Greek chorus to the regeneration of the 10th Doctor. And now we're getting the Ood back. I'm very curious to see what role they're going to play in yeah. this story. Are they there to prefigure the regeneration? Are they there as scary monsters as they were in the Impossible Planet? I mean, how are we going to see them? Yeah, it, and it could be anything. That's what's so good about the Ood. Because I, I didn't think Time Lord, Victorious, and Big Finish really wrapped up. I haven't read the books. It's a little mix match. I did enjoy the audio plays, and I like the Ood Assassin, Brian the Ood. That's the bit I liked. And I like right. an Ood character. Oods can be individuals, and you can use them as individual characters. But I don't know, because it can, the Ood can be anything. You know, what is it? Is it, I, you know, I, I'm... This is a hard thing to guess from because I think it's going to be like you guessed one thing and you were wrong. I think if I I cannot I'm not seeing a throughput except that she's go, they're going on a series of adventures to get to a finale. We're getting a serial like a 1930s serial. Like every episode's a chapter in a book. So I mean that's all I'm I'm guessing because they're going to jump they're jumping through time and space because. Um, we haven't gotten to it, but I think we see so we're on Santar where they're building Santaran ships. If that image is what I think it is. Right, right. I didn't pick up on that. That's very good. Yeah. So let's move on and look at seconds 21 through 30. I'm going to press uh, play on my end. Upside down, Doctor and Yaz running in a corridor, people falling over. And it ends with a sw- what looks like a swarm going over a globe. That's 
Right, and maybe that's not not a swarm of vampires, but a swarm of something. And then we conclude with a shot of a vendor who is the new. I don't know if he's a companion or if he's the antagonist, but he's the new regular character who was introduced at San Diego Comic Con a few months ago. Yeah. He's the character that, that I mistakenly thought was going to be a timeless children doctor based on my own idea of where I thought this was going, but I guess not. But is he wearing – is the logo he wearing the same wear, logo that Gat's wearing in Fugitive of the June? That is a question that I am not equipped to answer. And neither am I, and I just, because I'm not one who freeze frames stuff because <laughs> one, I never get it right. <laughs> Right. I I have now not seen Fugitive of the Jadoon since I was at Gallifrey in L.A. in February 2020. I showed it to a couple of friends of mine. I watched it twice in a month and haven't seen it since. Yeah, I've watched it a handful of times. And I've done – I did a – not not Nine Mind Be Praised. Um, Hamster. Hamster. I did Fugitive with Joe for, for Hamster. Has that one been released yet? I know yeah, he has he a did, long he, yeah, backlog. He, he, yeah, he released it pretty quickly. Okay, yeah. If somebody can add us on Twitter, if they can draw a connection, I am I am not equipped to do that, having not seen Fugitive and having not heard your hamster yet, because I am very backlogged on hamster as well. Yeah. Well, so I, jump around, I have to jump around because there's so many good podcasts out there, so I'm behind on almost everybody. Uh, yeah, Joe's is a daily podcast, and I have other podcasts beyond Doctor Who to listen to, so I can only dip in and out. Although he just released Castro Valva, which I'm very excited for, because yeah, Castro Valva being one of my favorite stories. I, I, need to, I know he did War sequence. Games recently, and I'm I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna jump in and do that on my commute this week because I do love. I'm a huge fan. Not War Games, War Machines. That's me. That was, Is that, that was you? me. Oh, okay. Then uh, cool. Another reason to listen. I love that's one of my favorite Who stories ever. I recorded four hamsters the first two months, and I haven't been back since. But War Machines, I think, was my first or second one. So I love War Machines, and we're going to break it down scene by scene. And hopefully you'll enjoy, you'll enjoy it along with us. All right. So let's, let's play again for seconds 30 through 40. Now, these wires, we'll talk about the wires and people flying through space. I love these wires, and I'll explain why. That got me more excited than anything else. And then there's a couple of new alien faces, which look like nothing I've ever seen before. I don't know if those are repurposed monsters from the past of the show or if those are brand new Jeff uh, posted Eldrad Miss Live because they look crystalline. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Yeah, I could too. Uh, other people have guessed it's the Master in a Final Decayed State. I think that both of those I would be okay with. I like Eldrad, Eldrad Must Live. Um, and we see Vinder in it. And does it end with him in the room with... Hold on, I'm going to try to hit it. Nope, I missed it. But um, there are these people appearing in this thing. And I, I think he is tied to Timeless Child. I have a sneaking suspicion. Because I have my theory about the Timeless Child. Um, and... Chibnall is so good at misdirection and keeping a secret. Because I liked last season because he had three secrets that no one knew. Master, 14th Doctor-ish or whatever Doctor, and the Timeless Child and the Destruction of Gallif, you know, that. So he can keep a secret. And that's why he's, and that's why all the things we talked about about publicity. He doesn't, he's not, he is, because Moffat and Davies tried their best, but stuff leaked. 
Right, right. Nothing leaks under Chibnall. He'd rather show you nothing. And remember last year's trailer, they digitally removed Sasha Dewan from the trailer scenes. So you wouldn't be. So I don't know. So I'm guessing with um, I, my, the only thing I think is that Bender may be a division agent and she, the doctors, you know, they meet because of that. So there's still room for my theory to be somewhat correct. Oh, yeah. But you had them all there at one time. I think they end up there. I think they're trying to get to the other side of wherever that child came from. Because and someone... The, ooh, I like that idea. I like that idea a lot, actually. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> because if you notice that the what they're, what Jody and uh, the Doctor and Yaz are falling through is the same... It looks similar to what was behind that... Or, that um, statue or whatever where they found the timeless child right which we originally saw in um, the second the ghost, second episode ghost monument which jeff did a very good very good hamster that was one of my favorite hamsters ever listening to him uh, talk about the jody whitaker era it, it, i he, would highly he, recommend he that loves you, it even more than i do and we me and him both think ghost monument is one is a very good piece of tv people bash it and i'm like it's beautifully shot man when that boat ride when they did that pan of the boat in the river i was like going oh that's where that all that money went to your new cinematography company okay i get why you hired them and i highly recommend you listen to the ghost monument episode of hamster with a yes. blunt penknife that was yeah. a lot of fun yeah it was and the other part of the seconds 31 through 40 so you have these wires that are sort of moving and coming together, and that is, of course, the detail on Jody's shirt, which itself is an homage to Tom Baker's scarf. That was the moment in the trailer when I watched it the first time that got me more excited than anything else, more than the Santar and more than the, uh, more than the Oud. That is a very clever way of using her shirt as a visual aid to Dr. Oh, yeah. Um, I've liked the... I love the single panel promo piece where it's her in profile and that orange field and the, and the rainbow is breaking up at the end. I think, if anything, the, the promo, what would be a movie poster, you know what I mean, uh, that Chibnall's era has done with Jody been pretty good. And I, that one's a nice, it pops. And I agree with you. I like the unraveling of the, of the rainbow on her shirt. It's a neat, it ties it all together. This is about her. It's a lovely visual, and it's very thematic. So let's look at seconds 41 through 50 then, and I'm going to press play on those now. One epic story. Oh, the battle That's scene. <laughs> over six thrilling chapters. There's the Weeping Angels, and there's the Cybermen, and there's the Doctor running, and then there's uh, Dan falling through what almost could be the John Pertwee season 11 title sequence, but it's probably a tunnel or tube of some kind. I think that's where he lands. I think we're going to see his pr- – that's leading up to his pratfall in the, What's in up? the teaser. <laughs> What's up? Um, I, she's running – the battle sequence between the British – as, as I told Jeff, it's, oh, look, it's the Redcoats. <laughs> Sorry, my Americans come. It's Redcoats versus the Suntarans. The overhead shot of the two armies amassing almost brings us back to Peter Jackson and the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah. It's, it's I don't Deep. think it's an image. Helm's <laughs> Deep, right. Helm's Deep. I don't think that's the kind of visual that we've seen on Doctor Who before, but no. I am there for it. I am too. It's they, they use a lot of digital technology as backgrounds, and it works, but 
if you take a little time, maybe it's just getting cheaper and easier to do it, that do some of these, let's, let's build the world, let's do some pan chai. If you're going to do some CGI, give me the world. Let's world build. And the Doctor Who is very good about world building. And I think Chibnall's has been very good about world building. Um, but you, it's a good tool. And I think it looked, that looked, that made me, Santarans in battle, yes. That, I'm very excited about that. It's more to the Santarn on horseback. The Santarn versus the British Army in Crimea, Crimea is a, okay, I'm in. That's good. It's an historical, kind of. And that's the battlefield she's running through. I love me some historicals. I did a previous uh, Trap One episode discussing the massacre, which is one of the most jaw-dropping Hartnell historicals. I think Doctor Who works best. I think it's when one it of my favorites. The past. Yes, I, th- I think Massacre. That's one of my favorites. I'm a huge Stephen fan, but he carried that show for a bit during that era. And the massacre is like if if any lost story could be found, I, that's my first choice. I just want to see it. And they could animate it. I'd be happy. I briefly maintained a Stephen webpage in the 1990s, back when they were called webpages. Stephen is one of my <laughs> favorite companions. And the massacre shows him by himself flailing oh, yeah. in history, uh, very unlike uh, Rory blowing up the Cyberman fleet. This is what, what happened to me. If I were thrown back in time, I would be completely lost and on the back foot, the way that Stephen was in the massacre. And it's, it's glorious to watch because Peter Purvis goes from comedy to drama so, so well. Oh, he did. He does. He him. I think one of the great um, and one of my favorite TARDIS teams is first Doctor Vicky and Stephen. Yes, because they work so well in the Time Meddler and they work so well in Galaxy Four. And then, unfortunately, we don't get a lot of them after that. But the two of them and the Myth Makers, very very funny. That's one I have a hard time with only audio. I'm. Uh, I may go in because they're better. My my the versions of Loose Cannon I have are very grainy and old, and so I know they've redone them. So that's one I really would like to see. That's one I wish they would animate or something, just because I've never the audio has never grasped me. So Mark and Conrad and I did a trap one on Myth Makers, the vinyl release, a couple of months ago. If you How haven't heard it? that yet, I'll listen to it. I'm a little I jump around with those because it's kind of like what I get time to. And that's one I like. I've not gotten the vinyl and I I mean I had the C D with the narration by Peter Purvis. So it's, you know, maybe it's just I need to pop that back in. And, you know, I'm a big I'm a big, big finish fan. So it's big finish on the way home from work. It's podcasts on the way to work. <laughs> so all right, we're going to do the next. I want, I want to talk quickly, though, after I finish plugging my past Trap 1 appearances. Let's talk about the Weeping Angels and the Cybermen. Cybermen first. The Cybermen were the big bad in the 2017 season finale and the 2020 season finale, and now we're seeing them again. Now, that's obviously four years apart, but if you watch one Doctor Who a night which is what I will be doing when I get to uh, the new series version of my pilgrimage in a few months. I'll be seeing the Cybermen in Dark Water, Death in Heaven, World Enough in Time, The Doctor Falls, Ascension of the Cybermen, uh, Haunting of Villa Diodati, Timeless Children, and now Flux. By the time I get to that portion of the pilgrimage, watching 45 minutes a night, there's going to be more Cybermen uh, then leave it to Beaver reruns on television. 
Are we are we getting too many Cybermen? Is my question. I think it, they're his villain. I think they're his. It, it, he's just you know. Um, Davies is a Dalek person. You know what I mean? We all have our monsters. I was a, I'm a Cyberman person. I think it's just Chibnall using the monster he likes. Also, Dalek stories, he ha- they use them every year. Probably going to be one of the specials. There's going to be a Dalek story unless he's hidden Daleks in this somewhere. It's just, I think he's playing with the toys he likes. I do like this redesign. I think the, what I call them, the Eric Roberts Time Lord ones. I'm not blaming, yes. blaming Chibnall. I'm blaming <laughs> all I saw when he comes in that robe and they come down in their robes. All I could hear was Eric Roberts going, oh, he's dressed for the Chiz occasion. For the occasion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think Shasha Dewan's a little bit more Eric Roberts than he is a little bit Roger Delgado because he's got that, that energy. I'm not a big John Fims master fan. I like him best in the Peter Capaldi one. I think Missy of the modern Missy is better than Sims. She's got she's got a I just found I just think John Sims was not served by Davies's scripts. I just don't I just found him un by the the final part of that season. I liked him in the first part of the story and the second he was just too much and then flying skeleton master was just i couldn't i couldn't focus on it i just didn't but i love sasha dewan but there's a bit of camp to him a bit over the top on the season eight blu-ray where sasha and angeli are watching all the roger delgado stories he filmed the master first and then he watched the roger delgado stories for behind the sofa it's fascinating to watch him react to the Roger Delgado master because he went in a very different direction. Yeah, he did. I think it works for him. I'm a big fan of how he played the master with the over the top camp, but also the, he added an element of danger to the master that we hadn't really seen since Roger Delgado. Cause yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm falling in love with the Anthony Ainley character because that's the I portion of the rewatch that I'm up to, dis- to. I used to dislike him. And the more I rewatch him, I'm like, you're working, you're being hampered and coming past what hold, there's some scripts that are holding him back. He always does great work with questionable choices, but in his first stories, he's dangerous and then he becomes silly. Yeah. But I want the master to be dangerous and Sacha Dewan gives us that. But I, I want to talk about, before we move on to the last 10 seconds, I really want to talk about the Weeping Angels. Are there any Weeping Angel stories left to be told? Because Blink is possibly the most perfect one-off Doctor Who story there is. And then they keep coming back and they keep coming back and the rules keep changing. And you go from a monster that cannot move unless nobody's looking at it to the Statue of Liberty, which is the most continuously observed object in human history, which literally in the 1930s was, was looking at a military base on Governor's Island being able to move. The whole metaphysics behind the Weeping Angels is completely undercut by their very last appearance, yeah, and I just I, got I'm, tired of them. I, I didn't mind. I like the one. I do like the Matt Smith one in the, in the, on the planet with River and the, and the, the cave full of the, the Kang Weeping Angels. Uh, yes. Adding speech, I didn't have a problem with it because they did it so violently and terrifyingly. But I really dislike um, the one set in New York. I mean, because for everything you just said, it's just you, you've, you've cut out. I mean, yes, change the rules. I don't really care. Change the rules. It's TV. I mean, you're going to have to add something. But you've, they're not scary. Um, I don't see. I'm, my thing with them is what are they going to be used for? 
You know, are they, do they throw the doctor back in time and they're, I keep thinking, I have this feeling they get thrown back in time and separated and have to find each other. And that's their being used as a plot device, which I don't have a problem with it. But if it's a story centric on it, I don't know what you can tell about them. And there are a lot of them. If you have one sneaking around or two, you know, them all over the city and they don't look like those angels, they're different statues. Maybe you could make them terrifying again, but I, I don't know. I got money that they're a plot device. And like you say, there's a lot that Chibnall is not telling us. He's showing oh God, us all yeah. these things as decoys, and there's going to be a story underneath the story that maybe there's more to the Weeping Angels than we're aware of just yeah. from that one brief glimpse. He keeps the so, secret, so who do, I don't know. So let's play those last 10 seconds and wrap it up. We begin with a shot of Yaz looking into the camera. We see a massive explosion. There's the Doctor Who scarf again. Doctor Who, Flux, BBC. So it ends with a pretty intense-looking explosion that appears to be bringing down an entire city or structure. So we're going to be getting some spectacle here. We're getting some new characters. We're getting some striking visual effects. We're getting a lot of new monsters. We're getting a new companion. We're getting a historical with the Crimean War. There is a lot to absorb in this trailer. And what I want to do now is introduce an alternate take. James was going to join us today, but because this is a crash episode being recorded across multiple time zones, <laughs> James was not able to join us for the recording. Uh, James is uh, a friend of the show. James is... When I did the Revelation of the Daleks novelization episode, James recorded the reading from the novelization and I'll tell you now, I had COVID. I was in the middle of COVID when I recorded that episode. I have no recollection of recording that episode at oh, all. Oh, good God. So I'm not I the only remember. one who recorded an episode with COVID. I do not remember what I said. <laughs> I don't remember whether I enjoyed the book or not. But I remember every second of James's uh, narration of the audiobook more than I can remember appearing on the show myself. So James has been kind enough to record a uh, – reaction piece for us and james take it away hello james here jixter2009 on twitter with my uh, views and thoughts on the new series 13 trailer uh what feels like an eternity we've been waiting for some new information on this six part epic which is going to be called flux and uh, it's going to be one continuous story over the six parts and uh, and and suddenly we get this trailer which has got loads of um bits and pieces in it you know we've got some uh, cast announcements which we didn't know before uh we saw some old aliens returning i'll come on to that in a second we've seen some new ones uh so the carbonista i believe uh, is the sort of dog like looking look, looked almost like a wookie um in the um in the uh, clip so we saw the ood we saw the cyberman uh we saw a return to a much more traditional some tyrant which i really like uh sort of harking back to the uh the originals uh looks like it's going to be taken a lot more seriously than the sort of uh version the dan starkey version where it was more of a comedy relief um Lots of actors revealed. So we had uh, Craig Parkinson, Roshenda Sandell, 
Robert Barthurst from Cold Feet in what looked like a unit uniform. Uh, Kevin McAnally, Blake Harrison, um, Annabelle Scholes, Penelope and McGoo. Loads. I mean, there was just so much information came through. Uh, we also saw our first look at Vinda, who we don't know a great deal about yet, whether or not um, he's going to be sort of on the Doctor's side or not. Um, and, and various different sort of set pieces where uh, we saw the Sontarans, uh, space spaceships either blowing up or being built. Uh, we saw a brand new race of aliens who uh, could be the Ravagers that uh, we, we've heard of. So, yes, yeah, so there was a lot there to sort of sink our teeth into. But as of yet, we still don't know much about what flux means or how it's going to impact on what we've seen so far from Doctor Who. Uh, my theory, for as much as it's worth, is in the advert you see the sort of ribbon at the background, the sort of rainbow sort of stripes and in the advert you see the ends of that stripes are starting to fray and I wonder if it's something to do with timelines being sort of pulled apart and the flux is something that is going to change again sort of some of the established history because we know underneath the timeless child there's been quite a few changes so I wonder if that's going to have something to do with it but I cannot wait. So Ross final thoughts has the trailer for flux made you more excited less excited or does it make no difference to the way you're going to be watching flux when it drops on halloween in two weeks time it made me more excited it did it was i got to see some visuals i started salivating it's the the kidded me the closest i can see was when um i don't know in england you won't get this cultural reference but i know you will when I got the first color photograph photographs of Star Trek, the motion picture of the cast in their uniforms in the bridge in Parade Magazine in the Sunday paper, <laughs> you know, Parade Magazine. <laughs> yeah. And I went through it. My brother said, you're going to love this and I got to see it. And I don't think I've ever been that excited about something, you know, and that was like, but this is I've, I've got that feel. It's, this is a trailer I'm going to remember that it affected me. Because I'm, I am such a fan of this era with, with, you know, with all the stuff in the background going on about it, social media, whatever. I like Jodie's doctor. I like watching her have adventures. There's not, I do not think, you know, there are plot points that people are going to disagree on, but I'm entertained and I'm excited for the episodes, you know? So I'm really excited about this. I'm excited about a big story. I like long story i like long form storytelling i'm a person who when they go oh the movie's two and a half minutes two and a half hours long i'm like whatever give me take the time to tell the story you know hell i can sit down and watch the lord of the ring extended ones in two days if i got the time you know i don't mind so i'm 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 geared up i'm excited and it's got all the monsters i like kevin mccallies they're just all these things that i'm looking forward to i love the ood you know it's got me stoked. We had said earlier that you and I are not the target audience for the trailer because we're going to watch no matter what. And that's true, except when it's not. When the first RTD series was going to air in 2005 and nobody knew what to expect, especially here in the States, where all I knew about Russell T. Davies was uh, his book, Damaged Goods, for the New Adventures line, 
I relied on that trailer to tell me if I was going to want to watch the new series or not. And the first, uh, do you want to come with me? The trip of a lifetime trailer was phenomenal. It was a work of art. I watched that trailer over and over again. And that gave us a narration from the doctor. It showed us Rose and it also gave us clips from the first season, including the Reapers at the church and the Paul Cornell episode. And it gave us, the Daleks, and that really stoked up my passion for the new series. And here we are still talking about it, 16 going on 17 years later. After my relative disappointment with the end of Timeless Children, and after what's been an 18-month hiatus due to COVID, which has shrunk the show's footprint and changed what kind of production crew is available to actually make this thing, after this long, long, long layoff... I think this trailer whets my appetite for the show again, and it gives me images that I'm dying to see, and I'm curious about the new companion. And since this is our, this is our last full season of Jody, I would love to see her served by a good script that gives her a really good arc to play off of, which I don't think uh, the series 12 did in the way that I wanted. This is really a chance for her to go out on the highest of high notes, and we have both returning monsters for your fan service and some new-looking creatures in there. I am very excited for where this is going to go. And I may be disappointed. I may not like Chibnall's writing. I may not like the episode six. It may not stick the landing the way that Ultimate Foe does not stick the landing for Trial of a Time Lord. But sitting here right now, two weeks before the show drops, I am desperate to get to the show and watch it and hope that it's as good as the trailer. Yeah, it's it. I uh, Chibnall is so secretive, and I think it it works both in his benefit and against him because it you know the everyday fans and fans younger than us because I think a lot of the stuff on the internet where people are like, oh why why you know there are a lot of young and I mean say the young pod video podcasters I don't you know going why I need this information well you want it for your show you know you know and you're jonesing and you're impatient it's like we've had not no doctor who for 18 months it's like I could do 18 months and no doctor who standing on my head man I'd survive the wilderness years wimp I mean that's right it's like you don't know what it's like not to go with it just relax we know it's coming back you know it's coming back go put an episode in you know I you're probably like me. I can go into a room and grab a book off a shelf. I have all the big. I have almost all the big finish. I have you know. I have all the books, whether digitally or on my shelf. You know, I've got all the comics. You know, I I have Doctor Who at my fingertips. New, I, I can satiate my appetite. But this is making me go. I don't really want to go watch an old episode. I want the new episode now. I want more Jody. You know. I'd be what well, you know. I'm. I've done a rewatch of Jody, and I got to Timeless Child, Timeless Children, and I want. I'm going to pause and watch it and the Dalek one the week before the show airs. So, I am like you. I have the entire series at my fingertips. I have the entirety of the classic series. I have the entirety of the new series. I have an HBO Max subscription, so I could watch the series off the blue without the without the Blu-rays. I have all the books in print. I have all the novelizations in my bedroom. I have copies of all the 1990s and 2000s books in my in-laws' garage. But I also have, well, 
I shouldn't say this, but I have the PDF copies as well, so I can read when my actual print books are in someone else's garage in another state. I have 60 years of Doctor Who in various media, and I can enjoy them whenever I want. And if Doctor Who ever goes off the air, I will not be starving for Doctor Who. But I want to be excited about a new series. I want to be desperate to watch this new show. And I wasn't quite sure what to make of it, but having seen this trailer, it's gotten me excited again. So... Like you, I'm going to say this trailer has me more excited for the Flux season than I was before, even if I have to think Flux is a self-own of a title. <laughs> and they probably could have picked a better word than Flux. So other than that, I hope it's terrific. And it looks like we're off to a really good start here just from the trailer alone. Yeah, I think we are. I think it's going to be a good one. It'll be, it looks like it's going to be pretty. Uh, let's see how it goes. I mean... It, it, to be, and ultimately, I mean, everybody views this stuff in an individual manner. We all absorb it differently, you know, because it's, it's art is subjective. We're all it's all going to affect us differently. I'm excited. I think it's going to hit most of the buttons I want hit in a Doctor Who um, and maybe bigger than Chibnall's done. I mean, first Chibnall season compared to second compared to the first Chibnall season, one was bigger than the other. You know, he's moving up. You know, I think he's building to a crescendo. He knows where he's going. And next year, you know, I, let's see what he has to top. Because I think he's going to, I think we're going to see an up in his game. Series 11 was very quiet and reflective. Series 12 was heavy on continuity. And maybe he didn't finish the way that I wanted. But now he's had two seasons under his belt. And he has only six episodes instead of 10. He has time to get rid of the chaff and give us a lot of wheat. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what it is. I, th- I think he wanted us to have a season and I, you know, I'm a huge Moffat fan. So I know how the Chibnall fans felt on the internet. Cause I, but if you, you just went through, you've listened to it. I was very defensive of Moffat because I like, I'm a big Aaron Sorkin fan. I'm a big Whedon fan. I like writers who like the sound of their own voice. You know, they're wordy. It's about wordplay. It's about look how look how smart I, the writer, am. Davies is the same way. It's very, you know, the words are important. Chibnall is a little, it's a little toned down. And I, it was like, to me, this year has been a brush of fresh air. I'm not getting overstimulated by what's going on. But there was, it was a little more that in season 12. And I think this one's just going to be high octane straight through. Um and hopefully he has time. I want him to ch- – I, I, the one thing I hope, the biggest thing I hope is that the, the 13th Doctor Yaz storyline because she will have been in every episode. You know, and, and that we're not getting, at least in this season, just the two of them. I – we don't know if uh, Dan is in the specials. Right. But we know that Yaz is. Yes, we We know we that do. Mandip is in the specials. So that makes me happy that we are going to get a little bit of them maybe just by themselves. But also makes me sad that do not, please do not end this era with, with Yaz dying. Uh, no, 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 no. That would be, we had too, we had too many companion deaths in the Moffat era. Um, going they to all came back. Ex- <laughs> extraordinary lengths to bring them back. But yeah, I, I want to see Yaz get a properly happy ending. Yeah, she's been the Jamie uh, to the second Doctor in every episode, but hopefully she gets 
a happier ending than than Jamie did. Yeah, well, that's. I mean, before I always think they need to go back and do an episode where the Doctor. I, it's fan wank, but have the Doctor meet Jody. I mean, Jamie. And have Jamie's memories restored. You know. The, the two doctors kind of gave us that. Fraser Hines and the two doctors was so wonderful, even while the rest of the story was cratering around He was him. the best thing, but it's like to say that they don't look different is really bad. It's like, yeah, he looks different. <laughs> it's 20 think, years past. I think a time crash. Like, oh, when you, meet, when you meet your future self, you age appropriately. <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right, so. so that, I think, is our discussion of the trailer for Flux. As always, thank you for joining us on the Trap One Podcast. Ross, where can our listeners find you? Okay, you can find um, Doctor Who content with me on um, the Gallifrey's Most Wanted Family of Podcasts, which is two podcasts, so it's a, it's a small family. It's Gallifrey's Most Wanted. You can find us uh, on Facebook at Gallifrey's Most Wanted, a Doctor Who podcast, or on Twitter, where I do most of my talking at at Gallifrey's MW Pod, and then me and my other podcast partner, Jeff, we do the Runcible Report, and you can find us at Runcible Report. Uh, and I'm going to give a little plug because I, starting sometime in November, I will be doing a comic book based podcast called Stop Let's Team Up, where I discuss superhero teams, hopefully with a series of guests. So. That's a very exciting, and I am a huge fan of GMW and the Runcible Report. I'll be listening to your Season 22 breakdown as soon as I can. I'm very excited for that. I am on Twitter at Doctor Who Novels, that's DR Who Novels, and under the hashtag Doctor Who Pilgrimage, that's DR Who Pilgrimage. As we record this, I have just started on the trial of a Time Lord, which in a sense is the beginning of the Chris Chibnall era. <laughs> Very true. You can find Trap One on Twitter at Trap One underscore. That's Trap One with the underscore symbol. And you can find all past episodes on trapone.podbean.com or on your podcatcher of choice, which for me is Google Podcasts. You can find Mark on Twitter at Quark McMalice. That's Quark as in the Dominators and McMalice as in the Awakening which is an odd mashup of one of the worst stories and one of the best, or at least one of my least favorite and one of my favorite. That is a terrific Twitter handle. So I love the Quarks, not, don't like the Dominators, but I do. Are you one of the, the Awakening lovers? I am a huge shipper of the Awakening. It was one of my first stories on PBS in 1984, and having watched it back last month, I still love every second of it. It holds up. It is. There is not an ounce of fat in it. It is 45 minutes. It is a terrific cast. It's got a terrific villain. It's got your historical element. It's got your 1643 Civil War. It's got a little bit of the demons going on, a little bit of the Wicker Man. I love it to pieces, and I will defend it until my last breath. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This is my first time working with you. Hopefully not the last. This was a terrific recording. Um, and to you at home, thank you for listening. Mark, we'll be back next week with a new episode. Ross, thank you again. Good night now. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir.